Well, hey, welcome again to Ethos Online. So glad that you're hanging out with us today. Hopefully you are having a really great day. And if this is Sunday, if you're watching this on Sunday, make sure you grab some free coffee from the ORBC. The entire coffee menu is on us. Simply go to our Instagram page, grab the post, show it to the barista. You can even tag your friends and they can get some free coffee free coffee too. We want to continue to support local businesses while making sure that you know that we love you, we care about you, we miss you, and we, and we value you. And then moms, next weekend, it's Mother's Day. Can you believe it? I don't think any of us thought that we'd be quarantined on Mother's Day, but we are. However, we are committed to still making Mother's Day a memorable day for you in partnership with the ORBC, whose address is somewhere on the screen here through the magic of technology. Uh, we are gonna be providing a photo wall for all moms and families, all the while practicing social distancing, wearing masks, gloves, all that sort of a thing. But we wanna create an opportunity for you to still get a special picture uh, with, your, with your family. And we got free coffee, also uh, some free flowers, a little, little gift that we wanna get, uh, get to you as well. And that's available to all moms, not just the mothers of ethos. So all moms, so make sure you tell your grandmas, your friends, let them know. Uh, we want to make this Mother's Day a special, a special day for, for you all. Well, hey, we are in week three. Week three of a collection of talks that we've entitled, How's Your Soul? Really, we're kind of leaning into this big idea of looking kind of reflectively, if you will, as like, how is my soul doing right now? There's all sorts of emotions that we're all experiencing as it relates to this unbelievably unprecedented, unique season. All these adjectives have become so cliche during the last few weeks now, yet they all still ring true. And we have to ask ourselves as we look into the mirror and kind of look into our own souls as we dig into the scriptures, how am I really doing? And so today I want to, I want to share for the next few moments that we have together uh, today from, from a talk entitled, Even, Even God Grieves, Grieving is Good. I'll be honest with you, I never thought I would study grief before, but over the last few weeks, it's become apparent that even in my own life, there's things I'm grieving. And I'd venture to say over the next few moments, you'll begin to identify some things in your own life as well. In fact, I've asked some of our friends, some of my good friends, Mike and Rachel Hill, who are some servant leaders here at Ethos. Mike serves on our Set Up and Teardown team, which of course is non-existent right now because we have nothing to set up and tear down behind the besides the two gentlemen behind these cameras right now. Um, but, uh, but they also serve, he and his wife, Rachel, they, they also serve on our Ethos youth team, which still does meet during this time, of course, virtually. And so I've asked them to read our scripture for us today from, from uh, John chapter 11. So go ahead and check this out. What up, Ethos? I'm Mike Hill. It's my beautiful wife, Rachel. What's up? We miss you guys and can't wait to be together soon. Yeah. Today we'll be reading from John chapter 11, verse 32 to 36. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. We love you guys and we're in this together. Even God grieves grieving is good. Let's, let's pray together today. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for these moments that we have to gather together uh, behind screens right now, that we are still one, one with you, one with each other, that we really are in this thing together. This, it's not just some cliche model for this particular season, but it's, it's our motto that you've really created for life, that we're, we're in this thing with you and 
and we're just, we're better together. And so we ask that you'd make up the distance between what I prepared to say and what you want to speak to the hearts and the minds of every single person, both young and old, even children as they engage in the Ethos Kids curriculum today. We ask you to speak to them, show them even more how big and wide and high and long your love is for them and that you would continue to bless your Ohio State Buckeyes with the championship, hopefully this year, if not, then next year. And everybody who agreed said, amen. Sticking to it, people. We're going to keep on praying for those, for those Buckeyes. Even in, even in quarantine, they still need prayer. Go Bucks. When I was a freshman in high school, I remember having the opportunity for the first time to play a few snaps for our varsity football team. And when I say a few snaps, I was just reserved for, uh, for special teams. So my job was to run down the field on kickoff and tackle the guy with the ball, right? And so this is a big deal, though. Like I could not wait until I could play varsity football. And so when the opportunity came, I, I wanted to seize it. I remember it was the third game of the season, and during one of the kickoffs later in the game, I experienced what I was pretty convinced was a, 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 like a pull or a strain in my left quad, but I just ignored it because I was concerned if I tell somebody about this, then uh, they're going to pull me out and I'm not going to be able to play anymore. So throughout the week, I kind of nursed my left leg and just uh, put most of the pressure on my right leg. Well, at a certain point in the week, I, I, I realized I'm favoring my right leg so much that my, my right quad is starting to kind of feel strained as well. Continued to ignore it, didn't think too much of it, thought I could push through this pain. I get to Friday night, it's warm-ups. It's game night though, probably about 25 minutes from kickoff. I'm sprinting down the field just during warm-ups and my right leg just completely gives out. Like instantly, I felt my muscle just pull and then cramp up really tight. I don't know if you ever pulled a muscle before, but it's, it's pretty painful in the moment. Just a few minutes later, it's completely black and blue. And, and I was convinced that if I wanted to get through the pain, I had to push through the pain. That the fastest way to recovery was just to ignore it. In fact, uh, Jen, the, our, our high school varsity trainer, she, she later taught me then, she said, Jordan, really, the, the fastest way to recovery is to be aware of the pain. You gotta recognize it, and then you gotta slowly, progressively take steps to recover from it. Which is interesting because I was, I was reading this article that was sent to me by a friend. It was published in the Harvard Business Review, and it was titled, That Discomfort You're Feeling Is Grief. The title alone just caught my attention. I, I leaned into it and the author stated and was quoted as saying, we feel the world has changed and it has. We know this is temporary, but it doesn't feel that way. And we realize things will be different. The loss of normalcy, the fear of economic toll, the loss of connection. This is hitting us and we're grieving collectively, but we were not used to this kind of collective grief being in the air. We're not used to this kind of collective grief being in the air. I've noticed as I look at my own life and, I, and I'm talking to some, some friends and many of you, I, I've noticed that everybody is coping with the weight of this season differently. See, some of us feel sluggish, tired, kind of even achy. Maybe there's even kind of a loss of drive to accomplish anything. You feel kind of unmotivated. Others of us feel this surge of energy making an attempt to kind of fight back and just push through the pain and push against the difficulty of life within this time of quarantine. And some of us are even angry. We're, we're angry at God. 
Maybe we're angry at politicians who are making decisions or not making decisions that are in favor of our personal preference. Some of us are angry at other people, while others of us just simply, we just feel sad. Uh, Many of you are probably familiar with the five stages of grief. It was introduced by uh, a woman named Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in 1969, and and she revealed to us that there there are kind of five stages that we all experience as it relates to this emotion that we call grief. The first stage is denial, then anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Now, later on, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross had stated that she wished that she wouldn't have, have, have made it sound like those stages are linear because really they're, they're kind of messy. You, might, you may not experience them all in kind of sequential steps, if you will, but, but, but you're going to experience them at different points during different seasons of, of this emotion that we, call, that we call grief. And certainly we've all experienced them even, even now. And when I say all, I mean... I haven't spoken to anybody who hasn't experienced at least some of the stages of grief. Think about it like this. I I wrote it down. First, first there's denial. This virus won't affect us. Then there's there's this anger. You're making me stay home and taking away all of my activities. Then there's bargaining. Okay, okay. If I just social distance for two weeks, then everything will be better, right? Then there's sadness. I don't, I don't know when this is going to end. And finally, there's acceptance. Okay, this is happening. I have to figure out how to best proceed. Grief is a lot more than just sadness. It's, it's really a whole series. It's kind of a conglomeration of emotions. It's been so amazing to me over the last couple of weeks as I've been studying this idea and this concept of grief, which again, I thought I would never be studying grief, but I'm, I'm beginning to identify that, that, that grief is, is really kind of, it's almost like a hodgepodge of different ingredients all within this recipe of, of grief. And as Americans, we are notoriously bad at identifying even more so of coping with any of the aforementioned, the, the, the emotions that we just talked about. We don't like to experience them, not to mention we certainly don't want to talk about them. We definitely don't want to discuss how to cope and maybe even walk through them. That's just why we say things like, suck it up, man. Just pull yourself together. Kind of pull up your bootstraps. And just keep on moving forward. I'm a victim right now of, of even feeling like I shouldn't feel that way, which is so ironic, right? I feel like I shouldn't feel that way. Why? Because somebody else has it worse off than me. And I bet that you've probably said something or felt something or experienced something very similar to that. I don't feel like I should feel that way. And so as a result, I just, I try to think positive and I just suppress any of the negative emotions. Now there's this there's this professor at, at Duke's uh, School of Divinity, and she studies and, and speaks primarily on Christian history. And I found some of her writings recently to be really kind of insightful. And, and she recently said something that I think is, is very true and also comical at the same time. She released an article a couple weeks ago, and she wrote that the idea that we're all supposed to be positive all of the time has become a bit of an American obsession. It gives us momentum and purpose to feel like the best is yet to come. But the problem is when it becomes a kind of poison. 
in which it expects that people who are suffering, which is pretty much everybody right now to some degree, are somehow always supposed to find the silver lining or speak realistically about their circumstances. The main problem is that it adds shame to suffering by just requiring everybody to be prescriptively joyful. Then she concludes by saying, if I see one more millionaire on Instagram yell that she is choosing joy while selling journals in which stay-at-home moms are supposed to write joy mantras, I'm going to lose my mind. Which I think is just kind of funny for her to state and yet at the same time something that we probably all thought at one time or another. But here's what's interesting. As followers of Jesus, we have an antidote, if you will, to grief. We have a prescription that's better than some of what we just spoke about to grief. See, we come from a long lineage of people who didn't run from grief. Hear me. They didn't run from it. They didn't even try to escape it. But rather, they allowed themselves to encounter grief. In fact, in John chapter 11, the the, the scriptures that Mike and Rachel just read a moment ago, we, we find ourselves right in the middle of this interesting scenario in which Jesus catches wind. He hears that one of his best friends, Lazarus, has just died. In fact, Lazarus' older sister, Martha, and his other sister, Mary, they, they send some messengers to Jesus because they know that Jesus is going to want to hear of the passing of his friend Lazarus. And when the messengers arrive to tell Jesus of this bad news, Jesus just kind of waits. He just kind of hangs out for a minute. And it says that four days later, he finally arrives at the graveside of Lazarus. And when he does, we find in verse 21 that the first person to meet him is Martha. And Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, here's denial, if you had been here, My brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus says, well, Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, yeah, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection of the last day, speaking of the coming resurrection when all the dead will rise again and live again in Christ. But Jesus says to her in verse 25, no, no, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Now, if we just sort of took like a Saved by the Bell, Zach Morris timeout for just a moment, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you understand what I mean by that. Like if we just put ourselves into the story, kind of pause the characters in the narrative here for just a moment, we would think that at first glance, it appears that Jesus just kind of comes swooping in like the Terminator, bypassing the tears of Martha and Mary. And by doing so, he's kind of telling all grievers to pull up your bootstraps and trust God. I am the resurrection in the life. I'll be back. You know what I mean? Like that was a terrible impersonation of the Terminator. Side note, The Terminator in the Rockies, that whole movie set changed my childhood life forever. For the good, actually, definitely for the good. Back to the story. Uh, Oftentimes, I think, in fact, I'm convinced that, that we read the words of Jesus with a tone that Jesus never intended for us to read it. Because as we go on in this story in John 11, we find in verse 32 that now the other sister of Lazarus shows up, Mary. He said that when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she also fell at his feet and said the same thing Martha did. She says, Lord, if you had just been here, my brother would have never died. I think we can relate to this in some degree. We think 
it must be God's fault that some of what's happening is happening. Because if God had just intervened, none of this would happen. And so therefore, we need somebody to place our blame on, all of which is an expression of the grief that we are feeling. It says that in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, along with the Jews who had come along also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And he asks, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Verse 35, it's the shortest scripture in all of the Bible. And it reveals so much. Jesus wept. He weeps for them. He weeps with them. He weeps with you. He weeps for you. Jesus, he, he weeps so that we will all know that mourning is not disbelieving and that flooded eyes don't represent a faithless heart. See, Jesus wept, and here's what's even more interesting. All the while knowing that 10 minutes later, he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. It doesn't even seem to make sense. Jesus, you know what's to come, and we know what's to come because we see the end of the story because we're reading it 2,000 years after it happened. Why did you, why did you weep? His tears really are giving us permission to grieve too. And it's really showing us that grief doesn't mean that you don't trust. In fact, it couldn't be anything further than the truth. See, we, we grieve, but we, we also don't grieve like those who don't know the rest of the story. Let me say it like this, that we are to grieve. Give yourself permission to grieve. No matter what it may be about, whether it has something to do within relation to the season, because maybe you're a senior in high school and you don't get to experience that, that formal graduation that you had dreamed of. Maybe you're a parent of a senior in high school and you likewise were dreaming of that day to see your son or daughter walk or you're in college and you don't know what's to come and you've lost your internship or maybe you've lost your job or your business is suffering as a result of this or your family that you don't get to see because you're a grandparent and you miss and long to hang out with your grandchildren, whatever it is that you're grieving. Maybe there's sickness in your body and there's something that you're struggling with. Give yourself permission to grieve, but also know that you have permission to grieve with hope. Paul says it like this, the, the great apostle Paul, who's responsible for writing about 60% of the New Testament, the newer portion of our Bible, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he, he says, brothers and sisters, speaking to you and to me, he says, you, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Paul is basically saying, hey, listen, we don't approach grief with positivity. We approach grief with hope. I, I was taught somewhere along the way that, that the opposite of fear is faith. But then I also learned through experience that you can actually have very, very real, tangible fears while still be walking in a whole lot of faith. In fact, what I've discovered is that I believe the opposite of fear for those of us who'd say, yes, we're, we're Jesus followers, the opposite of fear is actually hope. See, fear, I think, can be defined as the expectation of some future suffering. But, but hope can be defined as the expectation of future good. See, hope is the absolute expectation of coming good based on the person and the promises of God. Our hope, come on, hear me, Ethos, is not that nothing bad would, ever, would never happen. No, no, Jesus himself said in, in John 16, verse 33, he said, in this world, 
you're going to have trouble. It's, it's actually a promise of Jesus that we don't really like to talk about much. But he promised, hey, hey, you are going to have trouble in this world just as anybody who doesn't follow me is going to have trouble. Following Jesus doesn't mean that you'll never experience adverse affliction or difficult circumstances. It's so much better than that. Following Jesus actually means that in the midst of adverse circumstances, in a, in a challenging situation, the presence of Jesus is still with you. See, if all we had when we follow Jesus is that nothing bad ever happens, then we would look like superheroes and nobody would ever understand that following Jesus is so much more that when we walk through a valley, we can experience the joy and the peace of Jesus even in the midst of when wind and rain and the storm is, is just shouting our name and trying to beat us down. Following Jesus is the hope that in this world you will have troubles, but Jesus goes on, he says, take heart. Or in other words, another translation says, take hope because I, meaning Jesus, have overcome the world. I've overcome the depression of this world with joy. I've overcome the anxiety of this world with peace. I've overcome the suffering of this world with healing in, in, the, in the hope of eternity with me where suffering is no more in existent. Let me say it like this. What is our hope in? I want to close with these three things. Our hope is, first off, it's in the return of Jesus to make all things new. No more sorrow, no more sickness, no more pain, no more financial burden, no more stress, no more anxiety, no more fear, no more depravity, no more suffering. I love how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. I want to read from the message translation, Eugene Peterson's Version. He says, so we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside, it often looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside, where God is making us new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. You got to get an image of that. that there is a lavish celebration prepared for us on the other side of this storm and certainly on the other side of life. I'm telling you, man, there is hope that we can have in the return of Jesus making all things new. The second thing is we have hope. Our hope is in Jesus' presence with us now in our troubles. Nothing is too small that the heart of God can dismiss and nothing is too big that the arm of God can't handle. I was reading uh, uh, an autobiography, or a biography rather, from John Wesley and, and in it, it stated that at the end of John Wesley's life, while he was on his deathbed, he was recorded as saying, the best of all is that God is with us. The best of all is that God is with us. Do you believe that? That better than any contract you can secure, better than any report you could hear from a doctor, better than the affirmation of your closest friend, that the best of all is that God is with us. Look, I believe that one of the redemption and redeeming factors of this season for us at Ethos is leaning into and further understanding that God is always with us that he desires to show himself faithful, 
even when our natural circumstances are failing us, we can have hope that God is with us even now in our, in our troubles. And lastly, our hope is that God will utilize all of our troubles to make us more like Jesus when we keep our eyes on Jesus in the midst of trouble. You know, most of you know, I, I've, I see a counselor about every six weeks and I, I make it known that I see a counselor because just to be totally honest in the spirit of full transparency, I want to kind of get rid of that stigma that people have that pursuing emotional mental health is a bad thing. I go to the gym, I eat healthy intentionally because I take physical health seriously and I want to, I want to pastor you. I want to be a I want to be an effective pastor in our community for the next 30 years. And so I take my mental and emotional health seriously too. And recently as I was meeting virtually with my, with my counselor, she, she told me that until I deal with some of the negative emotions, I'll never experience the positive ones. And I got off that phone call and instantly it was as if like the Spirit of God just kind of reminded me of Psalm 23. And I, I quickly pulled open my phone and got on the YouVersion Bible app and, and pulled up Psalm 23. And I just wanted to read it. And when, I see the, when I say that the Spirit of God reminded me of it, I just had a thought. Psalm 23 just came to my mind. Which, by the way, whenever you have those types of thoughts, that's, that's God speaking to you. Lean into those moments. Open up your Bible and begin to read what it is that you feel this, this kind of encouragement to lean, to lean into. And, and as I begin to read Psalm 23, and I want to I read a portion of it even today, I... There was one particular scripture that just jumped out at me. Verse 1, it says, The Lord's my shepherd. I have all that I need, which that alone we could preach on for weeks to come. But it says in verse 2, He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to His name. And here it is. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I'll not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Even when I walk, even when I, almost as though there's this assumption that even when I walk, even when I experience trouble, even when I experience hardship, even when I experience affliction and suffering and challenge and disappointment, grief, I will fear no evil. I'll have hope because you are with me. I want us to notice as I close right here, that there's movement that the author, David, writes as it relates to Psalm 23. There's, there's this idea of movement. See, see I'm, I'm going to tell you a really corny yet catchy phrase that I just felt the Spirit of God speak to me. And it's, it's our emotions need motion. Our emotions need motion. See, we don't sit in the dark valley. David says we walk through the valley with the Lord. Our emotions need motions. He, he speaks of the fear he's experienced. He speaks of the trouble that he's in. And yet he says, as I'm in the midst of this dark valley, I, I'm going to keep moving forward because I know that I'm not moving forward by myself. He, he names the emotion. He, 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 he talks about the fear. And then he says, I'm going to walk through it with the Lord. How do you walk through it with the Lord? I think the first thing you got to do is you got to recognize I'm, I'm experiencing some emotion. I'm not going to suppress it. I'm going to name it. I'm going to let it 
I'm going to let it come up. I'm not going to ignore it because that will just lead to more suffering in the future. I ignored my left leg being sore. And as a result, my, my right leg ended up becoming pulled. David, David gives us the prescription here. God lets us know, hey, 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 name it. Talk about it. And now let's walk through it together. Talk about it with a friend. Let's walk through it together. See, we are never intended to simply walk through the valleys by ourselves, which is why this season is uniquely challenging for so many of us, because we feel so alone in our emotions. But I want to encourage us, call a friend, talk to a friend, get into a virtual group, call me, reach out to me. We are not meant to live life alone, but rather we are intended to walk through it with the Lord and with his people. Engage in the new and 90, the reading plan that we're doing as a community right now, as we continue to encounter God, even in this season. You, you just weren't made to do life alone. Listen to me. You were made to live life with Jesus. You absolutely were. It's only in Jesus that we experience hope. It's the only way that we, look, we, we could all experience grief, but it's only in Jesus that we can experience grief with hope. Now I want to give you an opportunity today that if you don't know God, you don't know Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to receive him, to accept him, to place your faith and your trust in him, to say, yes, I want to be a follower of Jesus because I'm in a valley and I want to walk through the valley with Jesus. Or maybe you're not in a valley. Maybe everything seems to be going good. Look, <laughs> the, 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 the bad news is that there's going to be a valley someday again in your future. The good news is that you don't have to walk through it alone. That you can walk through it with the peace and the hope and the joy and the life and the goodness and the love and the grace and the mercy that can only be found in Jesus.